Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a Dirty Shirley. What do you have, Del? I am drinking a pineapple margarita, and on this week's episode, we will be looking at the scandal that rocked the quiz show industry in the 1950s. These quiz shows exemplify how greed can not only damage reputations, but also lead to a backslide that would take 50 years to recover from. Let's start with some background that led to the scandal. Between 1938 and 1956, quiz shows were a popular aspect of radio. When television started to emerge as the leading form of entertainment, it was natural that quiz shows would migrate over. Prizes for contestants were made possible by the U.S. Supreme Court ruling that allowed contestants to win money as long as the contestant did not have to contribute their own funds as this would fall under gambling laws. One of the shows to start the quiz show genre was 21 Questions, hosted by Jack Barry. The first show was a failure, with the contestants not having the knowledge to answer the majority of the questions correctly. The producer of the show, Dan Enright, stated it was a quote-unquote dismal failure. Giratol, who was the show's sponsor, made it clear that they did not want this to be a repeated occurrence. Three months into 21 Questions run, contestant Herb Stemple started to be coached by Enright to ensure that he was answering correctly. Although the initial issues had been fixed, the show still did not have high ratings. In order to change this, Enright and his partner Albert Friedman decided that a change needed to be made. This change came in the form of Charles Van Doren. Van Doren was a Columbia University professor whose family included Pulitzer Prize authors and respected professors. With the new contestant in place, the stage was set for the switch. On December 5th, 1956, Herb was asked who the winner of the Best Picture Award at the 1955 Academy Awards was. The answer turned out to be one of Herb's favorite movies, Marty. However, since he had been told to lose, he answered on the waterfront, which had been the winner the previous year. With that incorrect answer, Herb's time on 21 questions came to an end, but Enright could not anticipate that the loss on that question would start a firestorm. One year after his loss, Herb told Jack O'Brien of the New York Journal American that he had been coached throughout his time on 21 questions and that his loss to Van Doren was scripted. Since there was no evidence to back up his claims, the article was never printed. That was until December 1958 when it came to light that the show Dotto was not a legitimate contest. In August of 1958, Edward Hickelmeyer Jr., a standby contestant on Dotto three months earlier, sent an affidavit to the FCC claiming that while backstage he had found a notebook containing the answers contestant Marie Wynn was delivering on set. Years prior, in December 1956, Dale Logue, a contestant on NBC's The Big Surprise, filed a lawsuit against the show's production company. Company Entertainment Productions Incorporated, seeking either $103,000 in damages or reinstatement on the show as a contestant. Her 
claim was that after being asked a question she did not know in a quote-unquote warm-up session that she was asked the same question again during the televised show. Her assertion was that this was done intentionally with the express purpose of eliminating her as a contestant. These scandals caused the quiz game shows implicated fixing their results to be canceled. This included 21 questions, Dotto, tic-tac-doe and both the $64,000 challenge and $64,000 question. In late August 1958, New York prosecutor Joseph Stone convened a grand jury to investigate the allegations of the fixing of quiz shows. At this time, the scandal was unfolding. The fixing of quiz shows was not illegal. Some witnesses in the grand jury acknowledged their role in a fixed show while others denied it, directly contradicting one another. Many of the coached contestants who had become celebrities due to their quiz show success were afraid of the social repercussions of admitting the fraud that they were unwilling to confess to having been coached, even to the point of perjuring themselves to avoid backlash. A prosecutor on the case later estimated that of the 150 sworn witnesses before the panel, only 50 told the truth. Producers who had legally rigged the games to increase ratings but did not want to implicate themselves, their sponsors, or the network in doing so denied the allegations. After the nine-month grand jury, no no indictments were handed down and the judge sealed the grand jury report in August 1959. The scandal changed the law that governed quiz shows. In October 1959, the House Subcommittee on Legislative Oversight under Representative Orrin Harris's chairmanship began to hold hearings to investigate the scandal. On November 2nd, Van Doren told the committee in a nationally televised session that, quote, I was involved, deeply involved in a deception. The fact that I, too, was very much deceived can not keep me from being the principal victim of that deception because I was its principal symbol. End quote. After concluding the Harris Commission investigation, Congress amended the Communications Act to prohibit the fixing of televised contests of intellectual knowledge or skill. President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed the bill into law on September 13, 1960. The legislation allowed the FCC to require license renewals of less than the legally required three years if the agency believes it would be in the public interest, prohibited gifts to FCC members, and declared illegal any contest or game with intent to deceive the audience. In addition to the increased governmental scrutiny on quiz game shows, the reputation of many of the coach contestants were ruined. Charles Van Duren, who had become a regular on NBC's Today, lost his job in the television industry. He was also forced to resign his professorship at Columbia University. Van Duren took a job as an editor at Encyclopedia Britannica and continued working as an editor and writer until his retirement in 1982. Leonard Ross, who at the age of 10 won a combined $164,000 on the Big Surprise and the $64,000 Challenge, suffered from major mental health issues, including depression and attention deficit disorder, which limited his ability to work as an author and attorney in adulthood. Many of his work was completed by other co-authors. After an unsuccessful lobotomy, Ross committed suicide on May 1st, 1985 at the age of 39. Dan Enright later admitted that he and partner Jack Barry decided to rig the show after the show sponsor complained and they were able to return to successful careers in Hollywood, including new game shows. This time, no rigging or other types of cheating were involved. The last impact of the rigging of quiz game shows were on the shows themselves. In addition to the cancellation, big money prize 
prizes were eliminated. The networks claimed to be victims of the scandal, with the NBC president at the time stating, quote, NBC was just as much of a victim of the quiz show fraud as the public, end quote. The networks decided to take more control over the production of quiz shows. The first front of Jeopardy ran from 1964 to 1975 and was noted to be legitimate. A revival, which was launched in 1984 that still airs to this day, started with the rule that limited winning contestants to five consecutive appearances, which was in effect from 1984 to 2003. Big money quiz shows would not enjoy widespread popularity in the United States again until the late 1990s when ABC launched the American adaptation of the British game show franchise, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, to both enormous critical success and high ratings. Now, numerous high-stake game shows and reality competition shows continue to air on broadcast American television. Jenny, what do you think of the quiz show scandal? I really didn't know that much about it beforehand, but I think it's so fascinating that it all started off because the show was boring and a failure. I feel like we don't really see stuff like this happening today. I mean, it could be going on and we just don't know about it, but I think it is probably harder to get away with today than it is before. And it's interesting that even back in the 50s and 60s, people did kind of become mini celebrities based off of appearing on game shows because it happens now. I mean, we have Ken Jennings, who was one of the biggest winners on Jeopardy for the time. And he's gone on to, you know, like help out and co-host the show at different times. This is a little different, but I know, Del, you have been a fan of the Real World Road Rules Challenge in the past, and I know I am too. And so many people from that show have gone on to become like TV personalities too. Big Brother, Survivor, all of that. So it's really interesting to see how things have like changed, but not at the same time. I would hope that people like aren't being fed answers now. Game shows are not necessarily as big as they were back then. I think Jeopardy is like a very enduring show, but if you watch Game Show Network, like those shows kind of change all the time. But I think it's a very fascinating topic and I'm glad you picked it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this was a topic that kind of was spontaneous in selecting it, but it harkens back to the fact that I love game shows and and looking more into especially when YouTube became really popular and some of the footage from these shows came up. You can really see how they were becoming celebrities and it was a big deal to be a recurring contestant on these shows. And so when thinking about this scandal, I just think about basically the producers didn't think that they were smart enough to answer the questions. I mean, Charles Van Duren was a Columbia professor. He was a really smart person and even he was coach. I also think that it's quite funny that it all unraveled basically because of a really petty reason. The reason why Herb went to the media was because he was asked to lose on a question that he knew and he knew that his family was watching and would be really surprised that he wouldn't know that answer. I think he may have felt a bit humiliated that 
they wouldn't change the question that he was going to have his scripted loss to. I think it also harkens back to shows will do anything to increase ratings. And I think they do that now. I think that instead of it happening on quiz shows, it happens now with reality TV, where a lot of the situations that producers are claiming are real or representative of people's real lives are fake. A lot of shows have been accused of refilming things if the reactions aren't what they're looking for. I do think that it's good that high stakes game shows were able to come back, but I think that it always leaves the door open for a scandal like this to happen again. Even though now it is illegal to fix a game like that, producers seemingly always find a way to make their shows more intriguing. And if they can't do that through making it more extreme or adding more crazy like stipulations to it, I think that they might fall back into rigging it or at least fixing it so that the contestant that is more appealing is the one that wins. I know that on shows like Big Brother, one of the biggest accusations that they repeatedly get is that they are not fixing the show, but they are definitely making sure that certain people make it through. So whether that be telling the housemates not to roll off a certain person or in the challenge, for example, trying to make sure that the votes are not going to go against popular contestants. So while that's not the same type of rigging that happened with like 21 Question and other quiz shows of the 1950s, I personally think that it is a type of rigging in favor of what the producers want to see on the show. I absolutely agree with that. I know I've definitely stopped watching shows because it seemed like the producers are way too involved. I think I've mentioned this on here before. I love RuPaul's Drag Race and I feel like each year there is just some riggery in everything going on and it does make it a little less enjoyable for me personally. I love that you pointed out that the producers thought the contestants were too stupid because that is essentially what it is and now I know with at least Jeopardy I'm assuming some other shows too you do kind of have to get tested before actually even being a contestant on the show the quiz show scandal eroded people's trust in quiz shows and this mirrors a general distrust that the public especially in the United States harbor against the media trust in the media which has averaged 45% since 1997 has not reached the majority level since 2003 The United States ranked last in media trust at 29% among 92,000 news consumers surveyed in 46 countries. Partisans' trust in the media continues to be sharply polarized. Currently, 68% of Democrats, 11% of Republicans, and 31% of independents say they trust the media a great deal or fair amount. 56% of Americans said they agreed with the following following statement, quote, journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things that they know are false or gross exaggerations, end quote. Jenny, what are your thoughts on the public's distrust of the media? I think it's really interesting. I don't know what I would say my trust is. I feel like it kind of like varies and I'm somewhere in the middle. I really don't blame people for not trusting the media, but I think sometimes people have misguided trust 
distrust and misguided distrust in the media. The QAnon stuff and, you know, different accusations that came against former President Donald Trump come to mind, where people were defending things that were absolutely not true, and then saying the media was lying for telling the truth. So I definitely am wary of that. I think a lot of people don't trust the media, but then also don't go ahead to find trustworthy resources themselves, which is a big issue. To me, if there's a problem and you're not really doing anything to like better yourself, then you're kind of part of the problem. I think a lot of people also like to just read one news source or watch like one newscast and suddenly like they're the most educated person in the room on any given topic. I don't know if that's a very like American or modern thing, but I feel like that comes to mind again with like a lot of QAnon stuff I read. It obviously leads to ignorance and we don't need more of that. No like media source can be right 100% of the time and it's obvious that certain news outlets do have different agendas that they're trying to push and the truth gets lost in that. And I think people as a whole need to just use more critical thinking and reflect on how stories are framed and where they're getting things from. Journalism is very important and with this distrust in the media, I think there is a lot of people trying to take control over what gets published and that is very, very dangerous. What do you think? I definitely agree with you. I think that in general, the mainstream media has created a monster for itself and that has stole the distrust that people have in it. When you have outlets that have a clear political agenda, if you agree with that agenda, you trust them. If you disagree with it, you distrust them. You have Democrats that hate Fox News and Republicans that hate CNN and MSNBC. And it doesn't matter whether whether Fox, CNN, MSNBC, or any other media outlet is saying a factual thing, if you have a negative opinion of them, you're automatically going to take what they're saying as false. I think that there has to be a clear separation between pundits who have a political agenda that they are spreading and journalists, especially investigative journalists, who are simply sharing different stories about what is happening and what has happened in the past. I think that because of the entertainment aspect of news and reporting and the media, a lot of that gets blended. And then when information that is nonpartisan is talked about, people have a very hard time actually separating those things out. Of course, I think it's fine for people to have their own political beliefs and their agendas and to watch the news that will be supportive of the those political opinions, but this automatic hostility to networks that don't always kind of fit what you think should be happening, that's where we lose it. I think that it's very interesting that the United States ranks last. Countries like Peru are actually ranked higher. And I wonder if that is related to just the United States being so polarized and people always trying to find a way to say that the other side is doing something to miss inform people. Like you said, QAnon comes to mind, what people call the Russian collusion, where there are facts that can be gleaned from both of those stories, but 
if you hate Trump, anything you hear about him that's negative, you're going to believe nine times out of 10. And if you love Trump, if you hear something positive about him, you're going to believe it and you're going to disregard any of the faults that you may find. I think that people should try to trust reputable sources. The Associated Press always comes to mind for me as a pretty reputable source of information that doesn't tend to be very partisan in its presentation of facts. And I agree with you that people definitely need to make sure that they're using critical thinking skills when they're assessing news story. And just look at the biases that may exist within media sources and make sure that they're diversifying where they get their information from. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the quiz show scandal. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode focused on the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. As always, stay safe.